Hello and welcome. My name is Catherine Kirridge. I'm a partner at Osborne Clark. We recently launched a new report in partnership with the European Company Lawyers Association, or ECLA, exploring the challenges and opportunities associated with new data-driven business models. I had the pleasure of discussing this with a fantastic range of speakers, including Jan Vidrop, Head of Privacy and Technology Law and Privacy Governance at Zalando, Marcus Schmidt, General Manager at ECLA, and Francisca Fuchs, Senior Legal Counsel and Head of Discovery and IT Security Law at Robert Bosch, Elizabeth Macher and Jens Shevsik. I hope you enjoy. Uh, we come to our panel discussion. Um, it's my pleasure to uh, include further experts on the topic really uh, now, especially uh, Francisca Fuchs, who is a senior legal counsel at Bosch and also the head of the discovery and uh, the Bosch uh, legal department. Um, Jan, you've already uh, get to know uh, in the past 15 minutes. Then we have Catherine, who has also introduced herself uh, in the very first session. And we also have Elizabeth, Elizabeth Macher, uh, Macher from uh, the Cologne office of Osborne Clark, um, who is a specialist uh, in the access to data in uh, certain scenarios. She, I guess she talk about it a little bit uh, in the panel discussion. Um, so uh, with that introduction, I'd like to uh, start the panel discussion by asking something to Francisca and Jan, really, because uh, both of you have this uh, in-house point of view, uh, which is obviously very interesting to our audience. And maybe just a, a very generic and general question uh, as a first uh, starter. Um, how has the role of the legal department changed with the evolution of data-driven business models? Jan, you've touched on some of these things, so maybe Francisca, you'll you, uh, take this one first. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you, Jens. Um, and I, first of all, I have to applaud um, Jan for for giving this those tremendous thoughts because I can I can really echo all of them. They are they are so true today, and 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 this is this is hard to to follow on. But there, as you asked for the changing role. Um, I, I can only highlight that understanding the new business and getting your hands dirty, as in you cannot anymore take the position you are just, quote unquote, the legal advisor. You give standalone legal advice and then you retreat back to your office and turn to the next legal question that, that you want to answer. You have to sort of, a we call it, think an end-to-end -end process you um, are or should be involved at the get-go and you should take the time and opportunity to really understand what the new business model is about where is the money going to be made or what's the idea and you're there to ensure that the money can be made and I often say and be kept because they, there may be risks that the business is maneuvering and venturing into that they don't fully grasp at this point. And that's your job to, to guide this along, um, see the opportunities, see the alternatives. Sometimes you're being asked something and it, it's not quite um, ripe yet. It needs a little bit more tailoring and, and thought put into. And I think that is the new role of the legal counsel to really be that trusted advisor um, that understands the underlying implications, 
uh, that the new uh, legislative framework brings, the regulatory uh, issues bring um, possible fines that you walk yourself into um, if you don't foresee them. And, and this is your role now as council more than ever before. Um, actually, actually, just I, I could just confirm and say yes, exactly. Yeah. It's this working like a product is being developed. Uh, there is a product development process. It starts with a problem definition. You need to be there. You need to be part of that problem definition phase. I mean, it's already the, the second question, I think. And then be part of the entire evolution of that product, solution design, execution. And you constantly need also to update the teams if things changes. Uh, so there, there is a regulatory framework, and then there are authorities, and they have opinions. And in Germany, they have way too many, also not very consistent. Yeah. So you are part of the product development life cycle of that um, life cycle of the product, and you need to be constantly aware of what the product does and bring in the advice and be close to these businesses and need to be uh, to, to the people who build these products and you need to be very proactive. You, you cannot wait until they come to you because they won't know, only you will know because you have this full overview. And that's what you need to bring into the business. Yeah. Interesting. And and Francisca, does that always work? Are there are there particular challenges? Because I wonder whether the business is willing to accept uh, this new role, um, this proactive leadership role of uh, the legal department. And what are your experiences there? Do you have some insights into that? Yeah. Well, I can give a very uh, lawyerish answer. As in, it depends. So I, I think there's an old school approach also in the business. So while Bosch is obviously uh, huge in automotive, and I think people are used to doing things one way. And, and this is also true for when do I ask a lawyer or do I ask a lawyer at all? Or do I find that as a hindrance? And if, you know, certain business units um, have done business successfully in the past and are now asked to change their business, they also um, struggle with changing, you know, okay, um, I'm being asked to involve a lawyer early, why should I do that? Um, and um, we, we need to um, transition also that mindset to, um, okay, don't just involve the lawyer as the very last thing when you think, I guess we need a contract. Somebody needs to draft or look over that contract. Let's let's involve a lawyer. That's that's the latest possible stage. And then basically you're stuck with whatever you've been given. Um, and that is maybe okay if you are in a you know you buy and sell hardware components and you you're just discussing numbers really at the end and maybe liability. Um, but this isn't what we're talking about today, right? We are talking about digital business models, data-driven business models. Um, and those are so very, very different uh, and so very complex, um, as Jan described. Um, hence, it is in the business's own interest to start talking early. And that's where, um, in, in my um, uh, professional life, we have smaller uh, units that are sort of um, trying out new things. And um, as they're doing that, they are themselves quite unexperienced, but yet that makes them open to ask for advice, be open to embrace help that they're being offered because they're not used to doing it the same way for 35 years successfully, quite the opposite. They need to you know, start a new business and show that 
they they can survive within maybe one or two years. They have that time and money given to them. So they're happy uh, and more willing to take my advice. And if I'm approachable and if I understand what they're doing, then this starts off on the right foot and leads into a, a better relationship from the get-go. Yeah, thank you. And and Jan, do you have any further tips on how to reposition your 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 department within the perception of the business? I could again only repeat what uh, Francisca said. Um, what I have experienced is that it's indeed so. Th this uh, being proactive is one thing, but you can't be proactive with everyone. People also need to come to you. So how do you achieve that? Um, I think talking to many people living in their world, talking their language and enriching their world with new perspectives. In my experience, this is what people find exciting. And then they naturally come back to you because they understand, oh, there's something more. And I would like to talk to that person because that helped me last time. Yeah, That's why it's so important to be so very close to, to the business, to the product, to understand that, so that you can walk and talk in their world, make their world better and richer, and then they come back, which is it's quite challenging because uh, you need to be so much ahead of things. You need to have so much visibility. I think that is one of the key challenges to have it all in view and inside, translate it, bring it in the business. Sometimes very overwhelming also. Yeah, very true. Makes sense. Very interesting question from uh, the audience uh, in that regard, uh, because they ask, uh, would you recommend uh, that companies develop a data regulatory fund function outside of the legal department um, like that exists in other industries? Jan setting his head. Um, shall I go first? Um, I, I would actually recommend the exact opposite. I think it needs to be very much integrated. Um, having having a separate function is likely to increase friction, interface friction. You don't want that. You want to have full visibility end to end and bring that into the business. So a much more integrated approach is beneficial. I think companies that are at the market for a long time and have implemented roles and functions based on, let's call it the, the past regulatory frameworks. They have different functions, like there's a DPO there and he might actually be an information security uh, person. Um, there is a legal function there. And then they get lost in their internal communication instead of working together and bring that into the business. And if you create a separate function, you might risk that this also happens at your company if the question more means, do we want to make sure we have expertise and specialists for that, then the answer is definitely yes. But again, integrate it so that you can bring it seamlessly and effectively into the company. Francisca, what are your thoughts? I, I would, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more from, from own experience. I mean, uh, in large companies, um, and that may be different in smaller uh, setups, but in um in global companies uh, like like ours um it's not wise to create one more silo and spoiler alert these exist despite the fact that everybody you know says they want to um, reduce silos um that that's a tough job in and of itself so integration is key um also in the organizational structure so so don't overstructure anything if you don't have it already uh get rid of it and and 
think in you know think in topics think in a horizontal way if that makes sense because otherwise you are going to have that um, as Jan described handover friction and you're going to have just a just a very pointy view on things on one or two issues and that may not always be the good answer because you're not asking that pointy question you're asking how do i do this model or this business from the sourcing of the components to putting them together manufacturing to producing to advertisement you know to being in line with regulatory aspects of it distributing it all over the world and dealing with consumers that may be happy or not so much and yada 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 so there's no silo in that that's a chain think in that horizontal chain otherwise um, you're going to set yourself up for failure very interesting and um maybe maybe that that's also part of the answer right because you said or both of you said basically um that maybe methodologies which traditionally were rather applied by regulatory departments uh, should be incorporated into the legal department anyway so maybe the the change isn't that big um uh, not having the standard uh, lawyerish approach to everything elizabeth um, i would like to ask one, you one additional, oh, sorry. One additional comment yeah, uh, if i may also takes the perspective of your business so our business will tell you i cannot talk to five people to solve this problem i want to talk to one and that needs to know it all. If you have five different functions dealing basically with the same problem from the perspective of the business of the product, you will frustrate them. Uh, and then you lose the benefit. Um, they will try to avoid you because they start to perceive you as something that is too demanding and blocking them. Yeah, and, and if I can echo that, uh, I, and I think I read that sort of in, in, your, um, in your report there, that um, it's it's the it's the legal challenges outside, but it's also the legal challenges maybe dealing with the legal people inside. And and as Jan said, you know, if you have to talk to five different people, we we ideally strive for a one-stop shop that may not always be that one person. Maybe it's an it's two, or maybe even three, but but it shouldn't be segregated because uh, think of that business person. They have to now explain what they're planning to do five times, you know, in, in your example, Jan, to five different people who then have to revert back because they didn't quite get what that other person said. And this goes on and on and on. And frustration, yes. And, and you drive them away from you and, and you have the exact opposite of what you wanted to do. Uh, and maybe you embrace that thought that, okay, maybe I will not be capable of answering all this person's question. But is it more important to answer all the questions at the first get-go, or should I just take it in? And then I consult my colleague for the last 20% that I couldn't answer and turn back to the business with that one unified answer. This is a this is the whole service perspective um, that lawyers need to get into, as, in, as I initially said, rather this, you, you may now approach me and ask a legal question, and I shall answer. So this whole approach doesn't work anymore in this time and age, uh, any business model, by the way. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, maybe further point uh, from the from the audience here, and I think that's very interesting. Somebody's uh, 
posting that they actually when analyzing the new legislation and the new suggestions for commentary purposes etc they set up mixed teams with different departments to have all views on these new legislation um, and this is then the basis for their feedback uh, to i guess mainly the eu really um, so uh, that is an interesting approach too maybe now changing perspectives a little bit because elizabeth now we've talked about the uh, the in-house council uh, point of view um but what about the the our point of view basically the the lawyers point of view looking forward how do you see the role of outside kind council in assisting um on data-driven business models do we need to evolve to how, how do we have to adjust or adapt we definitely need to evolve, um, but I think the perspective is not so different uh, from the in-house perspective. In fact, we kind of have to mirror that. So what Francisca just said, um, you want one contact point or a team, if you will, um, but people who are familiar with your business and to understand your business. You don't want a lawyer saying, yeah, I, I can look at this, but only from an IP perspective, right? Um, you don't want an IP lawyer, a competition lawyer, a data protection lawyer, and a commercial lawyer. Um, you want one team that you can address that is familiar with your industry, with your business, and they cover all of these aspects. Um, so that is that is one point um, and something that OC, for example, is, is doing by focusing on these sectors. Um, the other is, um, and I think this was also mentioned before, um, in-house departments do not want or need long sophisticated legal memos um, they want their problems solved and yes sorry i said problems and not challenges because you know that's what they are um, and that that hasn't changed that that has been true for the past years as well it will be true in the future what is changing um, are the problems uh, that we are facing and that the companies are facing um, so Jan has mentioned how both technology and the legal landscape are developing really, really fast. Um, so what outside counsel must be able to offer is a kind of permanent horizon scan. Um, we need to be abreast of these developments and we have to keep the client abreast of them. We need to make sure that they don't miss anything, um, including uh, with all the upcoming EU legislation, uh, perhaps even ways to influence um, that legislation. Uh, we need to be able to assist them when they want to um, take stock of what the company is doing. Um, we were talking about how important it is to, to involve the lawyers from the beginning of a project. Uh, so when you ask questions like, what data do we need? Uh, how do we get it? What are the obstacles? Are we operating um, in a regulated environment, which most businesses will be doing with that upcoming legislation? Um, as I said, we need um, business understanding, technical understanding, technical solutions as well. So for larger projects, um, tech platforms, for example, um, we will be doing a lot more project management. Um, outside counsel can also assist in, in training for the legal department, in, in workshops, and also maybe in, in getting some points to the board, because we've heard um, that the board might not be that familiar with all the topics around data-driven business models. So I guess I'll, I'll echo what, what Jan said at the very beginning. It's this um, famous holistic approach uh, that outside counsel need to be able to offer. Um, 
basically the, the client needs to feel that we are taking care of it, right? Don't worry, it's all yeah. covered. Yes, yeah. Well, I, I can certainly see that and I couldn't agree more. Um, maybe one, one further point to add, I can also see that with many clients. So how many really big data or uh, data pooling projects does one client usually have? Even the big companies, it's, it's only only a few at most at the bigger companies. Uh, some do have considerably more, but that's only very few. So we can also add the insights from 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 our experience with other clients, right? So uh, that's, uh, I think, a benefit that the external counsel really can offer compared to the in-house counsel, just the experience of, of benchmarking the industry and saying, okay, we saw this approach and that approach and that approach, and this is what we think is, uh, works for you. But um, but the methodologies, et cetera, that you mentioned, I, I couldn't agree more. Now, I would like to talk a, bit, a little bit about the law in the remaining uh, time of the uh, panel discussion. and. Um, Competition law actually was mentioned by you, Elizabeth, what was mentioned by Jan um, and Catherine, as we have you as an uh, expert on competition law here. Um, how can competition law impact data-driven business models? Is it the right tool to get access to data or uh, to see access to data? Um, yes, good question. Uh, so I think as the report identified, one of the challenges of um, data-driven business models can be getting access to data. Um, and hopefully competition law presents an opportunity there. Now I'm changing my mindset. Um, so competition law has quite traditionally um, been maybe one of the only ways that businesses that need access to other companies' data can can get that access. And actually, some of our traditional competition law cases do relate to data, but probably a much more simplistic form of data than we're talking about now. So some of the original cases of, uh, of getting access to an essential facility where there's something that you absolutely need access to in order to compete relate to data, but uh, data for preparing TV listing guides. So it's just the information on what's going to be on TV when rather than um, significant kind of big databases like we're talking about now. So competition law does provide the opportunity to get access. But I think as I referred to that essential facility, it probably gives an indication of what a challenge that can be because under competition law, you, are, you really are having to show that a database is essential in order for you to compete. And often a data holder will perhaps rightly argue that that, that data set is replicable and it isn't essential in order to compete. Um, Jan mentioned the Digital Markets Act, and we don't have time to go into all the new regulation that's coming down the track now. But I think that's why we are seeing new regulation coming in to kind of enhance what competition law gives in terms of access to data um, and and hopefully to balance that against innovation and the drive to develop those those data sets. And I think it's also been really interesting kind of mirroring um, the discussion the panel's been having around um, needing lawyers to be kind of seeing that bigger picture and not in their kind of silo. And I think competition law is no exception. And we are seeing real links now between competition law data protection, other areas of law as well. And the regulators are approaching this in a similarly kind of 
more joined up way than they have historically. So I think if we're thinking about access to data, competition law may be one tool, but we're also going to be looking at the Data Act, other areas of law as well, and being that kind of joined up team and saying, okay, if we need access to data or we want to block access to data, um, which is which is the right legislation and working very much together to think about kind of joined up approach. I think we'll see the same on the flip side from the regulators as well. Very interesting. Elizabeth, I know that in your daily business, you also uh, deal with the access to data uh, quite a bit. Would you like to add or follow up on that? Yes, maybe just really briefly, um, because we've devoted an entire chapter of the report uh, to this topic. Um, I fully agree with, with Catherine. Um, access to data is, is key, and at the same time, it, it can be a real challenge. Uh, we have competition law, um, but Catherine mentioned um, the downsides of that or the challenges. Um, so what, what we see mostly in our daily practice, and particularly in the automotive sector, is um, sector-specific regulation. Um, so you, you are in a difficult situation in particular um, where you have different market levels, where you have an aftermarket that depends on access to data from manufacturers. Um, so getting access to that data through negotiations, through contracts is, is very difficult, uh, which is part of why we are now seeing the, the Data Act and, and other legislation um, coming into place. Um, but still, I mean, even, even if you have bad regulation in place, you might still have to, to go to court to enforce it, right? You might still have um, um, to litigate. Uh, so the situation is, is maybe not ideal. Um, most companies will try to solve their access to data issues um, through negotiations. But in the end, if you have to litigate, um, um, then that's it. And, and um, that is what the company must do ultimately if, if they want to be able to succeed with their business model. And sometimes it really does escalate. How, how many cases do you have in front of the ECJ right now uh, regarding the access of data to data? Three, in is fact. It, is it three? Yeah. It's, it's, okay. Yeah. So uh, yeah. 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 Very interesting. Okay. I'd, I'd like um, to use some of the remaining time to talk about the regulatory framework because one of the, the main results of the report really was that even the legal departments say, okay, our regulatory framework is, uh, let's say, not optimal. <laughs> um, and now I'd like to get back to you, uh, Jan and Franziska. Um, what are your thoughts on, on the current and the upcoming regulatory framework um, as regarding uh, as regards data-driven business models? And, and what do you, like specifically, if possible, I don't know, uh, what's missing, what's too much, uh, what is wrong with the regulatory framework? Why is that a result of the, uh, the report? You can decide who yeah. wants to go first. Yeah, I, yeah. Okay, happy, happy to take that one first. Um, for me, what's missing is a target picture. Yeah. Uh, so, this this common mutual understanding of how we in Europe want to use data, because you see many different directions this is being pulled into. Um, some go into the direction of no data at all. Others go into the direction of all data for everything. Um, and you, you don't see a clear picture 
the regulation itself, yes, and we becoming champions in regulating. But how do we turn this into a competitive advantage for Europe? How do we use this to make Europe a strong, um, a strong position in the world or give it a strong position in the world so that it compete with the others? And it's not just the US. I mean, it's China, right? Um, I, I don't see that. That is missing for me. Um, and for me, that would be quite important because it would be the North Star against which you would benchmark every regulation. It's kind of, yeah, this is our North Star. This is how the regulation is to be construed to make this effective. And because it's missing, often regulation is pulled into directions it was not intended for. And you can see this in the GDPR. And you can have very strict interpretations by some authorities. That, that's not helpful. That's why this North Star would be so important. It's missing. That is causing a lot of confusion. Um, and I would love to have that clarity. But right now, I don't see it. Francisca, what, what is your view? Um, again, agreed. Um, but I would like to add one more thought. I, I think, yes, it, it, that North Star is missing, even though it was set out to say, well, let's create that framework to give Europe a real fighting chance against you know the, the big two others, left and right, that have already started on that data journey a long time ago. Um, uh, I think that framework uh, or what's coming up in regulation fell short of that. And and again, those were drafted in maybe silos. And 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 from 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 that lack of quality in in the law that we're going to face, um, we're going to end up in lots of challenges, and we're going to have to live with that bad law. But if if I may take the chance today, because lots of you are now listening. And, and what I find disappointing is that um, not many companies or legal departments, in my view, take the opportunity to get involved extremely early on. And by extremely early on, I mean as the legislation gets made. You know, as the sausage is being made, you need to be there. This is even before your business units come and ask you how to implement that new business model. Um, and that's what I and my colleagues try to do, but many, many times um, we find ourselves sort of alone and isolated uh, getting a view across. And it doesn't mean we all have to agree because I, I appreciate we come from different industries and we, we may, may have different views on how the law, you know, what it exactly should say and how it should be balanced. Um, but I think involvement and starting the discussion rather than after it's done moaning about it is the key to, you know, to better quality law and, and, and something we all can live with. So if anyone, you know, has time at their hands, and that's one other issue, I think, um, as the legal department, we, we have only so much time in a day and we need to focus on what really brings the most lift for our, you know, our companies and, and our ideas we want to drive. Um, so we need to focus on that and do away with, you know, repetitive, petty legal issues that can be addressed by legal tech or other things and explore that more to make that time for our learning, our education and, and our supporting, supporting those new models.